Okay. Okay, that'll work. Creepy, but I'll, it'll uh, work. Make it, yeah. <laughs> All right, so we are now recording. Yes. So should we do the intro, or do you want to do that little empty chat that kind of precedes the intro? Um, I don't know. We could do either. Or we could just waffle for five minutes and... We could waffle for five minutes. Yeah, I mean, that's the key to gaining an audience, is to just torture them with indecision. Oh, boy. I know. This will be good. Oh, they're going to love it. <laughs> they're going to eat out of the palm of our hand, all three of them. Uh, <laughs> I think, yeah. We'll get we'll get three. We'll get three. Yeah, listeners. at least three. I mean, we have family. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they'll listen to it. Yeah, yeah they'll, um, they'll suffer us. All right, let's just launch into it. Maggie, what's the name of the podcast? This is I Did My Own Research. Podcast about nothing and everything. I'm Maggie. And I'm Harrison. And today we're going to be talking about a video game called Kukiyomi, or Consider It. Which is a very fun little play on words with the, the English presentation. Yes. Um, so this game was developed by a studio called G-Mode, and it is available to play on both PC through Steam and the Nintendo Switch. It is a Japanese game made by a... From what I can gather on the, the developer's website, this developer might be just one person, might be two. I don't know. I can't read Japanese, so I've tried to parse their website. They make a few little games, and one of them is Kukiomi. And then the little-known Kukiomi 2, which is the same. It's just like an expansion pack, basically. Right. Now, this game is structured like a series of mini-games. It's kind of similar to perhaps a WarioWare mm -hmm. or playing just like an endless mini game mode in Mario Party or something. Like it's just a bunch of little vignettes um, one after another. And the aesthetic of the game is, is very interesting and it plays into how the game is structured. Everything is in black and white. Mm -hmm. Well, except the piece that you control, whatever you control in each little scenario or vignette is red. And that's what clues you into knowing what you can control on the screen during this little mini game. And that's it. Yep. That is the only information you are given. That is literally correct because this game does not tell you what the controls are. You just figure it out. You have to figure it out. So I will read the opening um, statement of the game. This is a space where you are free to consider things as you like. There is no one here to stop you from being as considerate as you please. And then the game launches and you go through different scenarios. You're the red thing. You have to consider the situation and act, make whatever choice. Yeah, act accordingly. I will add that uh, as almost a disclaimer, uh, after that, you can do whatever you like and be considerate as you like. They do have one extra title card that says, please enjoy Japanese culture because short of playing a JRPG, this is the most Japanese game I've ever played. And and the thing that's fascinating about it um, is that it it is very Japanese, and that is core to the the game, the ethos of the game. But it's not 
it's not Japanese to me in the way that like something like WarioWare or Katamari that are very loud and bombastic. No, this is like authentically lived experience Japan. Well, with some exceptions. And so the the controls of the game are not told to you. Not even a little. Every scenario, you are not given any sort of button prompts. You are not told what buttons to push. You have to infer those and infer what the rules of the situation are based on each scenario. Also, you got to note that you're on a timer. So you got to assess the situation, figure out how you move, and then move the way you should. You don't know that there's a timer, though. Like, you don't know what how much time you have. No, exactly. You're just, you're in a scenario and you just got to figure it out as fast as you can and, and be as considerate as you can. In some situations, maybe you shouldn't move your, the controllable piece at all. In some, maybe you have to move them. <sighs> I know. Let's, we'll describe a couple of the scenarios. Sometimes it's a continuous. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let's go. Let's, let's talk about some of our favorites, maybe. One of the scenarios that I really like happens pretty early in the game where you see a man and a woman in their cute little black and white stick figureness, and they are on a date and they're bowling and the man goes to roll the bowling ball and as he does the woman says if you knock the pin down i'll go on another date with you <laughs> yeah i remember this one he rolls the bowling ball and it's going straight down the middle of the lane you see this ball going straight down the middle of the lane to a single pin in the seven spot. So it's in the corner and the pin is red. So you are the pin, you control the pin. And so you can decide, do I knock over even if he doesn't hit me? Oh, yes. So that mm -hmm. they can go on another date <laughs> or do I stand still because he's nowhere near me? So you have yeah. to consider what to do. That's one of my favorites. Personally, I always lean towards making the non-player character the least embarrassed. Mm, mm -hmm. But again, they are not clear about the morality system here. They just give you a very vague rating every five games. Yes. So I, I was always drawn to the more esoteric and silly games. But in the same vein, someone, like a, a hand, it's like a POV perspective, and a guy throws, or gal, or non-binary pal, who knows, someone throws a Pokeball. And you control the Pokemon, and you have to move into the path of the Pokeball in order to get caught. Did you? Did you move into... Of course I did. I, I'm i making a personal sacrifice to help this person in, in their life goals. It's called being considerate. Um, another scenario that I'm thinking of, you're on like this 2D plane. It's very Mario-esque. You're a, a little 8-bit character. It's red. Mm. And you are standing in front of a smaller black little 8-bit character oh those are so hard. and then a mushroom starts mm -hmm. going towards you you're bigger so what is the considerate thing to do do you jump by figuring out how to jump in in the moment yeah. and let the mushroom pass under and grow your friend big do you take it when you're already big but you have to have a lot of contextual knowledge about how a mario style game even works yes I gotta say, that timing on that one is brutal. I have not yet been able to be considerate. I always take the mushroom by accident. One of the ones that made me really sad is the, the scene opens. There's a baseball player 
talking to this little kid in a hospital bed. Oh, no. And the little kid in the hospital bed says, you'll hit a home run for me, won't you? Oh, yeah. And then the scene changes and you, the red character, is, is the man at bat. And the ball's coming towards you, and you gotta figure out how to move the bat and hit the ball. Oh, I missed it. Oh, me too. Well, the thing is, is once you swing, you don't reset. You only get the one chance. So you gotta know what button makes you swing, and you gotta time it right. Uh, yeah, no, I, I missed it. <laughs> I missed it too. Well, that's the beauty of the design, is in a lot of ways, this game is designed to make the player very frustrated. Yes. Intentionally so. Like Yes, pure beauty. The the lack of rules, the lack of prompts on the screen is diegetic to what this game is. There was one more that I wanted to throw out there that I just thought was hilarious. Okay, yeah, go ahead. I've I've got another one also. There's one where you're it took me a while to figure out the scenario. You're a big old sumo wrestler standing in a sumo ring. <laughs> yes. And then there are these two little tiny sumo wrestlers mm-hmm. who, like, start running towards you to push you out of the ring to sumo wrestle yeah. you. And it took me a moment and I thought, wait, are these children? Should I be considerate as the grown up and, like, not beat these children at sumo and let them push me out of the ring? Well, but this is such a fast pace. Like, my gut instinct was, oh, well, I want to win. Oh. <laughs> And I started pushing no, them, and then I realized I needed to not do that. No, I. It, it, there's a lot of moments where you're like, okay, I'm going to do this thing. It's like, wait, no, I'm thinking like a video game guy. I need to think like a human being. And then you do the considerate thing. A lot of the vignettes that are in the game are very interesting because they are super similar to each other, where only something small yes. will have changed. Okay, so there's the, there's the bar slide, where it's like a, an old Western. A guy slides a big mug of beer across the bar, and you're supposed to reach out and catch it. You'd be like, yeah, thank you, partner. And then, like, 30 games later, it's the same picture and same scenario, except there's a guy to the other side of you, and you have to lift your arm off the bar so that the beer can slide to the other guy. Yes. Amazing. Just, oof, A-plus work. There's one that I like where you are with uh, your girlfriend, Mm. and you have the option to walk to the Robocon or the (laughs) ROMCOM and you have to choose which one you want to go to yes the first time you're both dressed as you always are because it's it's a recurring series of events with these two characters and obviously you go to the ROMCOM it's your girlfriend you're on a date and you you have a wonderful time together and then there's the follow-up Maggie you want to handle this one yeah so several episodes later or little vignettes later there is same situation. You can go to the rom-com or you can go to Robocon. And this time your girlfriend is wearing like a Power Ranger style helmet. Well, like a full like Gundam suit almost. Like Yeah. Yeah. Like <laughs> She's dressed up. Full cosplay. So you go to Robocon. <laughs> there are a lot of running jokes like that. There's a lot of scenarios on subway trains Mm. because those are very popular in Japan. So when you start out, you're basically straddling a bench. You empty up space to make room for one other passenger. The follow-up one is the one I always fail, where there's like a handrail bar 
and you can scoot over for a couple so they can sit together, not divided by the handrail. Uh, every yes. time I see that, I think, well, there's a rail in my way. I can't go that way. Yes, I messed that one uh, up, too. Yeah, I played the game twice, and I got it wrong both times. There's one where you're sitting on the subway, and the person next to you falls asleep. Oh, I love that they one. fall their head onto your shoulder. Do you sit there? Do you wake them up? What's the polite thing to do? I thought the polite thing to do was let them sleep, but I could be wrong. Like, what if they miss their stop? I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> and I don't understand. Like, I know Japanese um, work culture has this thing where, like, if you're falling asleep at your desk, it means you're working really hard. Um, oh, gosh. So, like, yeah, do you let them thing. fall asleep? And then they're, the guy who falls asleep on you is, like, a businessman. Yeah. He's wearing a suit. Mm -hmm. And he's got glasses. And he, he, he's coded to be a little bit older. And then later, there's another situation identical but the person who falls asleep on you is a young schoolgirl. yes that one made me uncomfortable was not right. sure what to do there do you wake her up is it embarrassing for her to but like to have fallen asleep on you is it creepy right. of you exactly the social responsibility for her to sleep on your shoulder like that it's just incredibly awkward and if i'm remembering correctly there's another one where people uh, you the people across from you on the subway train um experience this and there's a girl who falls asleep on the mm -hmm. shoulder of a guy and you are in control of little oh. crosshairs and you're trying to like no. look yeah it, it keeps wanting to drift to the couple and you have to keep fighting the input to look away yeah you have to look away to be considerate and yes. not stare um, and so there's a lot of these little little well, scenarios. There's, there's a couple I do want to touch on. Um, there's the yeah. sushi bar. <laughs> and so it's a if oh. you've never been in a sushi bar, it's there's you sit at a counter and there's a conveyor belt, and if you like the sushi on the belt, you grab it, and then it's the plate it's on is colored, and then that's how much that piece of sushi costs. There's a man with a chicken head sitting at the sushi bar, and you're. You're further up on the conveyor belt, so you can grab things first. And you need to grab anything mm -hmm. with chicken in the plate off the belt before it gets to him, so that he's not offended. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, I grabbed a lot of Tamago yeah, sushi. Yeah, I, I had no, I had no idea line. what sushi looked like, so just anything that looked remotely like chicken, I grabbed. Which is funny, because... I don't know if that means you missed the ones that were made out oh, of egg. Oh, crap. Yeah, I probably did. Okay, <laughs> fair, fair enough. I want to talk about the Fat Power Ranger. Oh, yeah, there's, there's a, a Fat, fat Power, Power Ranger. Ranger. And so this guy goes in with a headshot and auditions. And so they have him in the Power Ranger suit, and he just stands out like a sore thumb. And then they all do kind of like the Ginyu Force. Like, they all do a pose. And so you need to make sure your pose, you're yeah. on the end of the line, you have to make sure your pose is opposite the other guy's pose, so it's symmetrical. And then yes. later, you play as Godzilla, basically. When you're fighting and the hero's beam hits you, you have to fall over in order to be like considerate and play along. Except the hero is the fat Power Ranger. <laughs> yeah, he wins. He wins. You gotta, you gotta let, let him, him win. win. I love, I love the Fat Power Ranger. I think that one was my favorite skit. 
There's a hundred levels. Once you finish the game, you can go back and there's a new menu option that lets you look at them individually and play them individually. And it gives you a name for them. So it oh, kind of helps you figure out kind of more that. what this is about. I did see the uh, incons- inconsiderate, inconsiderate mode. Okay. mode. I didn't play it. I didn't have the heart. So inconsiderate mode is essentially the same. You get the same prompt at the beginning, except it says you are free to be inconsiderate. No one will judge you and you're allowed to do the bad things. You're allowed to not move over for the people on the subway. You were always allowed to do those things. You don't feel as guilty. No, the point of the exercise is to be inconsiderate. Uh, Did you want to talk about the last... Yes, this game is very... This game leads you into a trap, um, which is brilliant, because there's all those little charming offbeat moments, and you can legitimately feel really good about yourself if you suss out a situation fast enough but especially if you're not familiar with japanese culture or even if you have a passing familiarity just social etiquette you're going to get really frustrated with this game Um, like there's a real building Mm -hmm. sense of tension and so you get to the last level level 100 and there doesn't seem to be a game mechanic it's it's just an old man I think it's an old man. I think you might yeah, you just, just see, you see hands. hands. You see a pair, pair of, of old hands, hands clasping. One of them's laying down yes. in a bed, and one of them is and like the one sitting. In the, one of the bed is saying their last words. It's their last goodbye to the love of their life. And it's just text is playing out, and you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. And if you've ever played Ocarina of Time and talked to the owl, or if you've ever played Pokemon <laughs> and gone to a Pokemon Center... You're going to be familiar with the concept of skipping dialogue that you've seen before or you've finished reading before it's done. Before it automatically goes forward. After a little bit, a small red down pointing triangle appears in the corner of the text box, which if you've ever played video games is, oh, I can advance to the next Mm -hmm. panel of text. So you hit a button and the next panel of text comes up. Well... And the red triangle's still there. So this is what you control in this level. They, they've paced it such that the text won't automatically advance until well after you've read it. So you can just skip to the next you know, line so it can parse out the next line of text. But every time you do, it goes like... Blomp. Like it's a very... It's a sound that almost sounds like it's vibrating. And I thought that was very odd. But I was you know, impatient to get the game over and just like put this behind me. Once I was done reading, I just kept skipping until about the fourth time <laughs> it sunk in that that's a warning noise. I'm literally cutting this man's last words with his love short for my own convenience as a player. The considerate thing is to observe, sit back, do nothing, and observe his last words. And let them have the most amount of time together before the last text box yeah, fades away. That one got in my head. What a beautifully laid trap, though. Oh, yes. This game is very clever. I wanted to talk about the title. Mm. Um, so it's called Kukiyomi, which, if you translate it, it means air oh, reading. Oh, okay. It is related to, or another way to say the Japanese phrase, 
ba no kuki wo yomu, which is the idea of understanding the situation without words or sensing someone's feelings. It is a very important concept in Japanese culture. You're supposed to be able to read the air. The focus on this concept in Japanese culture is probably why a lot of foreign visitors feel like Japanese people are just super kind and polite. It's because they know how to well, read、yeah. the room really well. It's, it's a very important cultural thing. The Japanese thing. invented the vibe check. Mm hmm. Read the room. Kukiyomi. And I do love that they were able to translate、mm -hmm. this idea into considerate. You're supposed to effortlessly understand the situation at a glance and then make the correct social move. You are supposed to consider it. The scenario and then be、yes. considerate. This idea of Kukiomi is a little interesting. I guess there have been some discussion on it, like generating thoughtfulness and understanding cultural situations without words. It also has had some criticism that like quells unique individual ideas and could promote like authoritarianism in the sense that if you don't. Know how to read the room, or you refuse to read the room, you are being rude and impolite. It is very easy to fall into groupthink with this sort of that's, that's, type that of politeness. That's fair. I, I understand the fear, but at least living in the States, I think, I think we could use a little more、uh, Bano, Kuki, Wo Yomu in our lives. Individuality is not all it's cracked up to be the way we practice it. Oh, I absolutely agree. I haven't told you this, Harrison,、uh -oh. but the reason I wanted to play this game is because I saw it and I instantly fell in love with it. I was watching a Let's Play of it and I just thought this game was fantastic. It was hilarious to me, it was thought provoking, it was great, and Brendan was very uncomfortable、oh, with it.、No. He was uncomfortable with it because. He didn't like the idea that, that you as the player have to embrace what knowledge you have, whether those are correct or they are stereotypes. You have to use your incomplete knowledge of another culture to attempt to、It's, play the game. If I, I can peer into the mind of the Brendan man, it's almost as though the game is judging you. Yeah. What do you think about Japanese culture? Yeah, do you really think Japanese、exactly. people do this? What are you inferring? What stereotypes、that's, are you using to try and fair. I, I, complete the situation? I'm not going to say he's wrong.、Um, I don't think that's, no, I don't think that's I don't what the think... game was designed for, but it is an interesting perspective. Well, and, and that, is a, that is an experience completely unique to the non Japanese、mm -hmm. player, right? So, like, this game exists in Japan. And the experience of playing it in Japan is probably、oh, I'm sure、very they different. Way more correct answers than we do. <laughs> right. But, I mean, I started thinking about this. Like, it had to be localized in some fashion. Like, things had to be translated. And I've thought about other Japanese media that have been localized, but、yeah. they will change context or situations or jokes to make them fit for a Western audience. And, and I just kind of got caught in this loop of thinking about, like, Could, like, would you have localized the code as well? I don't think so. I think just, like, there's just a literal I, I translation. It's a very, but.、Uh, front facing 
I, I don't think they really massaged the language at all. Especially because it's a, it's almost right. a textless game. Yes. I also wondered, why is this set in Japan? I mean, yes, because the developer is Japanese. But could this not also have played out in, like, some alien world? Or, like, a, a well, scenario devoid of context? That two parts. The author wanted to make some sort of commentary on Japan, Japanese culture. Especially a lot of the really quirky stuff that is rooted like the uh, Robocon joke. Mm. It's, just, it's just easier to t say what you know. I also think they really wanted to make a commentary on the concept of Ba no Kuki Wo Yomu. I think that by making the point of the game to play out the subconscious decision-making of the average Japanese person would hit a lot different for someone from Japan than it does for someone from, from the West. Yes. And so Brendan had explained all these things to me about why this game made him uncomfortable more so than a game like WarioWare would. Because it, it is contingent upon making inferences about a culture that you're not a part mm -hmm. of as a Western player. And I told him, I love this game because that's the point. Because this game... I've never seen any other type of media absolutely capture the exact feeling I feel as an autistic person in social situations. Ah, I, the thought did cross my mind. This is exactly what it feels like. And the fact that you got frustrated with some of the scenarios and the idea of trying to parse out a social situation of a culture you don't understand or don't have the context for really made mm -hmm. Brendan uncomfortable. That's what yeah, I feel well, every I day. It. And so I thought this game was hilarious. <laughs> I mean, looking back with like some emotional distance, I see what they were trying to do. And I, I do want to, yeah, I want to touch on the fact that the controls aren't explained, which is obviously, obviously yes, like a metaphor for like cultural, like social interactions. There's no guidebook. You just have to try. We were just yes. talking about how for a Japanese person, this is like, well, obviously I should do this. But they have just as little idea what the controls do as we do. So imagine the frustration from a Japanese person playing this when they know the answer, but they can't communicate it because the controls could mean anything. Right. There is no guidebook. There are no rules. Well, there are rules, mm -hmm. but you don't know what they are. There is a correct thing to do. There is a ideal ending to each scenario but you don't know what that is and you have to infer and you have to notice the changes in scenarios every time you're on the subway yes. what's different what can i learn about this situation that will help me the next time i'm on the subway how is the context of this situation different how is it the same and this is how like growing up as a child i had to construct my entire worldview and this is one of the reasons why I personally get very confused and upset when I find out about rules that I mm -hmm. didn't know or or I get in trouble or I am wrong in some way because there is a rule that I didn't know about. There is a rule that I couldn't figure out on my own because none of these none of the rules are explicit or inborn to me. I've, I've had to figure them well, I mean, out. It's the same for everyone. It's just, you've had like a, 
like a resistor placed on your like ability to understand and parse these things out subconsciously. This whole idea, though, has trained me specifically. Like, I've become pretty good at noticing when things don't add up or noticing like subtle differences in situations because I've had to force myself to be hyper aware of it. Actually, I have a story that will illustrate this. So as a child, I grew up in Utah, very oh, homogenous place. I got along fine. I was probably like four years old and we visited my grandparents okay. who lived in DC and we had gotten on the bus to go into the city and there was a man on the bus who was wearing okay. a turban. My little four-year-old ass pointed and said, Mom, look, it's Aladdin! Because I that, didn't have the cultural context. I didn't understand. I had never seen anyone wear clothing like that. This was someone who, in my world, only existed in this fantastical film. And it, it just, it didn't match my set of rules or set of customs. And so it was noteworthy. Defense, it was super exciting. I think a lot, I think in your defense, a lot of four-year-olds would do the same thing. Oh, I'm sure a lot of four-year-olds would. To my mind, it, it, it was just an absurdity. It was something magical. It was something fantastical. And like my mom admonished me and they got all embarrassed because I had pointed out that this person existed and as an adult, I understand that that is not okay to do. It's a little otherizing. It's a lot otherizing, and it's... I'm glad that I wasn't my parents. I wouldn't want to deal with me in that situation. I think that this encapsulates, for me, a lot of... What am I trying to say? Um, I was excited. It wasn't... For me, it wasn't a... I saw something different... And it scared me or made me angry or I didn't understand it. I was just excited. It was a confirmation of something you didn't even think was real. Well, it, it, it broke, it broke the logic. It broke the rules of the, the world that I had constructed. It, it was absurd in like the literal sense of being absurd. It didn't fit within the paradigm I had constructed. And so I think, like, absurdism is absolutely fantastic and lovely. Yeah, then I turned into a cockroach. <laughs> <laughs> but it also makes me, I think it makes me understand better why I liked certain things as a child. Like, I, I know a lot of people really like the Miyazaki films because they're gorgeous and beautiful. What was your first Miyazaki film, Harrison? My first Miyazaki film was, oh my god. It was Kiki's Delivery Service. It was on TV. I was very small. Wow. My first Miyazaki film was Spirited Away. Hey, it's arguably the best. I wanted to see it really bad because it was like getting Oscars and it was publicized to the West in a way that the other films from Studio Ghibli had not been. Yes, absolutely. And so I was able to see it and I think I was... It won the Oscar in like 2001, so... I would have been about eight or nine years Ooh, old. I would not want to watch that movie at that age. The Pleasure Island-esque pig scene is just too much. Oh, I loved Ugh. it. I loved the film. It was so fantastic. Every, maybe every other element, but not the body horror element, where when you're small enough, or at least from my perspective, when you're small enough, you relate that scene to your own parents turning into pigs before your eyes. That's 
really fucking upsetting. I guess that's fair. Yeah, but that's my only gripe. But I remember my, a lot of my family, um, they thought that it was weird. And they thought that I was weird for liking it. Boo. I understand that from, from a cultural perspective, more so than a film like Kiki's Delivery Service. Um, Spirited Away is very, very centered in a lot of Japanese custom and culture and mythos, right? It is also fair to say that it is just a fucking bonkers movie. True. Um, but a difference in cultural context meant nothing to me. It was just a, a fantasy world. It it was different. It had different rules than just like any fantasy world has different rules. And so it, like, it didn't phase me at all. Yeah, why does the train end at a pond? I, I don't know. It just does. It just does. Like, that's the world that's been constructed for me. And like, it's my job as an explorer of the world to kind of figure out how it works. Hmm. But like, I loved it because it wasn't necessarily that it was Japanese, that I liked it as a kid. It was fantastical. It was a fantasy story that was wonderful and had that beautiful animation. Is probably the best descriptor for most Miyazaki films. Ah, man's genius. They're so good. But this idea that, that, like, specifically to an autistic person, that the unfamiliar is familiar to you. Mm, okay. That because you have to operate all the time on inferences and stereotypes and you have to experience a bunch of trial and error and that that is your norm of operating, that, like, not having prompts in Kukiyomi and not knowing the rules, that's always been the rules. Yeah, okay. I'll I'll have to keep that in mind. But I have to say, this does explain a great deal why you keep, you know, dealing with my crazy ass. <laughs> nah, we good. Nah, I just mean, uh, you know, when we first met. But that is content for another episode. Indeedy. All right. So. I would highly recommend anyone who just has a couple minutes and two dollars to buy Kukiomi and play it. It's fun, and I think it can stretch you to be comfortable in being uncomfortable and be okay with not knowing the rules. Mm -hmm. I think it's a valuable exercise. I agree. Uh, the second one is also good. It just doesn't have the emotional through line that uh, the ending of the first one gives you. It's more like an assorted random pack of the silly stuff and it's delightful silly stuff oh it is it is i liked playing it do you take your girlfriend who has the head of a cow <sighs> to the sushi joint yes. or to the steakhouse <laughs> okay wait wait i don't want to get bogged down because we're we're winding down here but i did want to <laughs> you you can take an oil tycoon Either to a car that's obviously powered by gasoline or to, like, an electric car. It's a <laughs> Just... Where do you take the oil tycoon? Beautiful bullshit. All right. Well, I think that's it for this week, folks. Um, Thanks for tuning in. Yeah, we need to figure out some sort of sign-off. Like a, like a catchphrase. Like... Ba-da-da-da-da-bye. I don't know. I don't know. Uh... 
you know what, folks? We've all learned a lot this week, and uh, I've just learned to consider it. No? No? Maybe uh, this is Ira Glass? No. No? Oh, all right. No. <laughs> no. All right, folks. Well, we did our own research, and we hope you've enjoyed the show. <laughs>